As we continue through Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I am resharing the previously recorded episode with Kim Carew, founder of Peace Love Tote. Kim shared her story behind the pink ribbon. Through her experience, she created Peace Love Tote, a nonprofit organization that provides free tote bags filled with support items, including a blanket, water sipper, book, magazine, and more to newly diagnosed breast cancer chemotherapy patients. If you are called to do so, please consider making a donation and always make donations to reputable breast cancer organizations. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Kim Carew. Kim is a uh, triple negative breast cancer survivor. She was diagnosed at the age of 53 with stage 2A, and she comes from Southern California in Chino Hills, and she is also the founder of Peace Love Tote. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. It's so nice to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your own story, um, first and foremost. So tell me about, um, you know, how did this, how did it all come about for you? Were you getting a mammogram? Um, Had you been getting mammograms? Were you doing a self-breast exam? Find a lump. How did that all happen for you? Well, um, when I was growing up, I had a friend that died very young, of cancer. And so I became a little bit of a hypochondriac as an adult. And I was always very, very careful with my regular checkups. And when I turned 40, I started doing regular mammograms every year. And I went for a regularly scheduled mammogram. And believe it or not, it came back normal. No findings. I actually have the letter. But it did say that I had a certain percentage of density that was always, you know, a little suspicious and people that have high density breasts, they always recommend an ultrasound. And my doctor said, you know, absolutely go get it. It's always great to have a baseline. So I went for my ultrasound. And when I was on the table, I noticed the technician was doing measurements. And the hypercontract that I am, I looked over and I said, is that oval a tumor? And she said, yes. Oh my gosh. So my heart dropped, not expecting anything. And she said, but it's very small. (laughs) When you hear tumor, (laughs) small, big, doesn't matter. Right, exactly. Uh, So I'm going to ask you real quick, um, how old were you when your friend passed away? I mean, I think I I have never experienced um, anyone at that young of an age who was a friend that died from cancer. Um, So how old were you? Well, we grew up together from kindergarten on, went all through school together, and kind of lost touch in the college stage of our lives, but were, you know, acquaintances and would see each other every once in a while, and I heard through the grapevine that she had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and she was in her early 20s, had just gotten married, and this girl was, you know, the picture of health, she was an athlete, um, just the picture of health. So it would be the least likely person and such a serious cancer like pancreatic cancer. She had gone to the doctor with some issues and they said it was stress from her new job after she graduated from college. But after, you know, several visits, they thought maybe this is something more. And at that point, it was a little bit late. And, you know, pancreatic cancer is pretty serious. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of seeing that and attending her funeral was very scary for a young person. Absolutely. From then on, I would always like think, do you think this is anything? Do you think this is okay? Do you think I have cancer? So when I heard that word personally, it was like my biggest fear slapped me in the face. Right. And so um, you said you started going at 40. Did you push for the mammograms at 40 or were they just like, okay, we'll do it? 
No, I I think my doctor knew me pretty well. It had been the doctor that had delivered both my kids in my early 30s, and she knew that I was one of those people that was checking everything, and she allowed me to have mam- a mammogram starting at 40. And I went every year, and I have absolutely no cancer in my family. Hmm. So, so now a you're... a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. And so you, I mean, you know, it's a small tumor, said the the technician um and you're right it doesn't matter what size it is it's still startling so did you immediately you know right then I mean obviously your senses were a little bit you know on high alert already so did you immediately think it was breast cancer well um the radiologist came into the room and said that she thought it was about 50-50. It had smooth edges, which is always good. It was 1.7 centimeters. And she gave me some statistics saying that if it is cancer, we usually don't see it reach a lymph node until it's at least two centimeters. And she said, worst case scenario, we would probably do a lumpectomy and radiate the area. So not that that's comforting, but it did feel a little better to know if it is cancer, you know, it wouldn't be as bad as I was imagining. So we went from there. And at that time, um, you know, I was going to the the group, the medical group that I was familiar with here in town. They weren't specialists really. And as soon as we found out that it was triple negative, which is the most aggressive type, um, they needed to move very quickly on it. They got me into surgery. First, they did the biopsy, found out that, yes, it is cancer. So how did and they, when did they, so you did the, you did the ultrasound, then did the biopsy. Um, so the radiologist had kind of indicated potentially cancer. When did you actually find out that it was a formal diagnosis of cancer? About eight days later, we were actually leaving out of town the next day for a week, but they couldn't get me in for a week anyways. So we decided to go on our trip that we had planned. But of course, I was in a little bit of a different mindset, but trying to be positive. And um, the day after I came back, I did the biopsy. And the doctor who did the biopsy, the radiologist, he could see I was just very anxious. And he said, you know, when I drop this specimen in the cup, if it floats, that means it's fatty tissue. And if it drops, it means that we probably have something. And it dropped. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I knew it was on a Friday. I knew over the weekend that there was a pretty good chance that it was cancer. And on Monday, I got the phone call to come in. So, okay. And was that with your, that was with the medical group that you'd been working with? Right. And it was with my general practitioner at this point still. Um, And then, you know, they referred me to an oncologist, but this oncologist was not specializing in breast cancer. And when she initially told me, you know, what I had and all those kinds of things, she said, you know, you have, you know, invasive ductal carcinoma, which is what 80% of the women have. And she said, this is how we would treat it. She said, however, if it's not hormone positive, then we're on a different path. But chances are it's hormone positive. Well, a few days later, I found out it was triple negative. It was not hormone positive, which means it was the most aggressive kind. Yeah, and changes things. You're right. Yeah, it does. Um, and the fact that my 1.7 centimeter tumor had gone to one lymph node that they knew of was very scary too because that meant it had moved fast. Right. So they got me into surgery within a week. Oh, wow. That was fast. Exactly. And the surgeon, um, because he knew that I was triple negative, took out my entire lymph node pad of 18 lymph nodes, which I found out later was probably not the best thing to do. They should have taken out three. And so I wanted to go to a specialist that dealt in triple negative breast cancer. And so I went to a consultation at City of Hope, which is, you know, half an hour away from me. And I got a doctor that had done some research specifically with that type. And um, he was a little surprised they took all 18 because that leaves me open for lymphedema and all these things. Absolutely. And I've never... 
I mean, honestly, I I didn't even know that that was something that would be done. Like I I thought they did kind of the sentinel lymph node biopsy first, figured out what the involvement was, and then from there kind of decided. But he was, I guess, probably just thinking, you know, it's an aggressive kind of cancer. Let's be aggressive in our approach. Maybe. Right. So when I got to City of Hope, they were a little surprised um, that they had taken that out. But, you know, interestingly enough, I have not had any lymphedema. Good. And I don't have any lymph nodes on that side. Um, I healed very, very well. They did a lumpectomy. But then later, I had read some articles about how triple negative breast cancer is linked to some genetic um, situations that could mean that I'm at a higher risk. So being that I was at City of Hope, they were wonderful. And they said, you know, Kim, even though you don't have any family history, you can do the genetic testing. And so I went in for it to see if I was BRCA1, BRCA2 positive, And I chose to do all the genetic testing, not just the breast cancer. And they asked me when I was leaving if I wanted to check this box because City of Hope had gotten a grant to go even further with some new things that were found to be linked to breast cancer. And of course, you know, I checked the box and walk out the door and she says, oh, you're fine. No family history. Well, I got that other phone call that said, you know, Kim, we need you to come in. Really? And I, came in and I was positive for PALB2. And I don't know if you know what that is. No, I'm, I have the BRCA2. So that's, you know, I feel like when we're kind of in, in this world, um, we become familiar with what we, with what we know, right? Like what our own diagnosis is. Um, so no, I don't, I'm not familiar with that and I haven't heard of it. So um, please, well, please share. PALB2 is something brand new that they are testing for. Now, if I would have tested when I was diagnosed, they would have said, you are not BRCA positive, And, you know, I would go on my merry way. Well, because I had checked that box for extra kind of research type testing, they called me up and said, you are positive for what we are researching right now. And it's called a PALB2 mutation. And I believe it's on the number 16 strand. And um, it's closely linked to BRCA2, but it is not. it had not been recorded yet. Now, I believe in talking to my genetic counselors that beginning this January, they are adding it to the list. It's going to be BRCA1, BRCA2, and PALB2. Good. Um, PALB2 means that I have a 58% chance of breast cancer in my lifetime. So they found a reason why I had it. And, you know, that brought me some comfort. I don't know why. It just brought me a little bit of comfort. Okay, we found out why. Wasn't anything I did. (laughs) And um, that brought on a whole nother ball of wax because now... What can I do to be preventative? They didn't have research as to what my chances are of a reoccurrence. Right. So, but you also did, so you did the lumpectomy. Mm-hmm. Did they have you do radiation and chemotherapy as well at that point or just the lumpectomy? I had to do, because it's triple negative, they don't fool around. I did the full chemotherapy. Okay. Um, I had, you know, the three different drugs, the one they call the red devil. And- right. It was the tough one, and I also had 38 rounds of radiation. Okay. And then from there, you went to City the of genetic. Hope. Right. Well, right. I went to City of Hope for my treatment. Oh, you for um, your treatment. In, okay. Right. In between my, um, my surgery and my diagnosis, right after my surgery, um, it happened to be open enrollment at my work and I was able to change to a PPO so that I could go wherever I wanted, which was really nice because, you know, I could go to City of Hope and go to any doctor. Right. And that was really reassuring to know that, you know, it was just endless as to what I could check into. But um, after I met with the genetic counselors and my oncologist again, um, they said, we don't know enough about it, so we will offer you MRIs every six months so that we can catch it very early since you're triple negative and treat it quick. 
Well, I did that for six, you know, I had my first one at six months, but you know, that feeling of having the test, am I okay? What are the results was creating so much anxiety in me. It was like I was waiting for the ball to drop. And so they suggested that I just, you know, get a double mastectomy. Yeah. Sometimes it's not worth the anxiety. Exactly. You know, I mean, one shoe has all already dropped, you know, and I can, I can appreciate the feeling of waiting for the second one to fall as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I decided that I would do the double mastectomy and because I had had radiation, they could not do an implant on one side because the blood vessels, although I appeared perfectly healthy and fine, they don't stretch the same and they, they're just not as healthy for that type of a surgery. So it required me to do a deep flap, which meant that they cut from one hip all the way across to the other. And they used my own tissue for one and the other one they put an implant in. And what was really great about city of hope was that they were able to do it all in one surgery, 16 hours. I went in with my own breasts and I came out with brand new ones. Wow. So it wasn't that waiting for the different stages of reconstruction. Right. And they were able to adjust one to match the other. And I have to tell you, my surgeons were amazing. I am absolutely thrilled at what they did. Good. And that's important. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. to to it is bad enough that we have to go through something like this that takes away for many of us something that is um, certainly doesn't define us as women. But we become attached to our bodies, right? Like I feel like it would be any part of our body that if it were gone, we would miss it. Um, you know, but it is a very sensitive and intimate part of our body. So walking away from it, having a good feeling afterwards, um, I think is, is great because, you know, unfortunately not everybody has that. Um, but I'm glad to hear that you did have that experience. I had an incredible experience and at the very last minute, they asked me right before I went into surgery when they're, you know, like marking up with the Sharpies and what they're going to do. They looked at me, both the plastic surgeon and the general surgeon, and said, Kim, do you want us to do the nipple sparing? And I looked at them and I said, I don't know what to do. And I was terrified. And she said, with your history, I would say no. And that was a big drop for me. However, I am adding it to my website, too, is I... um, you got to laugh a little bit. My husband and I used to refer to me as Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had these new new breasts that I actually was very happy with, but they were missing something. And so um, I did some research and I ended up going to Jason Lewis, who is here in Orange County, who actually was very popular from the show Botched. And he does medical tattooing now. Oh, wow. And an amazing job. I could not be happier with, he did 3d tattoos and, um, you'd never know. Oh, wow. That is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear you. Like I, I, um, first of all, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they even offered the nipple sparing mastectomy. I, I would not have anticipated that. Um, certainly I'm not an expert in the breast cancer field, but, um, just with the genetic mutation, I, I am a little bit surprised that they would have offered the nipple sparing. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you went the opposite route and didn't do that one. Um, yeah, I agree. You and, know. you know, it's interesting because about a week before I went into surgery, I had ran into a woman that told me that her sister-in-law had, you know, done the nipple sparing years before. And it came back there. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, it's just not worth that worry, too. And I just, you know, decided at that last minute. And as soon as I said, go ahead and just take them, both of them nodded their head. And one gave me a hug and said, you made the right choice. I think we'd like you to have some buy-in on it. but Well, and some control, right? Like we're kind of put in this situation where everything about our life is just all of a sudden spiraling 
out of control. And so maybe it's a feeling of you have some choices and here are your choices. Um, maybe. Exactly. And, you know, even though I was 53, well, I was 55 when I had gotten to that point, um, you know, my family were boaters. And all I could think about is how am I going to wear a bathing suit? Yeah. If, you know, I mean, these, I mean, it seems pretty, you know, like a minimal problem to have, but, you know, I spend half my summer in a bathing suit top and, you know, and I wanted to appear normal. Absolutely. And I was just really grateful that that part of my life wasn't going to be uncomfortable now, you know? Right. But um, it ended up working out amazing. And I, I thought, you know, they told me I needed 12 weeks off work and I actually went back to work in four Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. My doctor was a little surprised too, but you know, everyone's different. I actually worked through my chemotherapy and I think some people, you know, they have the mindset where I want to rest my body. And some people, like I think myself, is one of those people that if I, I just need to keep on with my normal activity and that works best for me, Right. you know, as much as I can do. Of course I had to rest more, but just being able to go on with, you know, my day-to-day living helped me heal so much faster than to sit and worry, you know? Yeah. And I agree with that. I think that's, um, I think that's an important point to make that, you know, we are all very different. And of course we're at different stages in our life and, you know, what is important for us to continue to do um, is different from one person to the next. And, you know, I definitely would have thought with, you know, having the deep flap (laughs) procedure four weeks, um, it would have been way more than four weeks. But, um, you know, it's important to kind of listen to what your body is telling you. If you're able to handle those things, then, you know, try it. And if it doesn't work, then that's okay too. You know, just kind of take a step back. I was lucky enough that I live a few blocks from the school that I teach in. I'm a secondary teacher, so I'm not working with little kids or picking big things up, you know, I'm an English teacher. I talk all day. So (laughs) for me, it was a matter of getting out of the house. I was home by two o'clock and of course I needed my nap every day. But, um, I think that that was what worked for me, but some people, you know, they handle things differently, but And that's why we are doing the podcast, right? So, you know, because all the stories that sit behind the pink ribbon are very different from one person to the next. So, um, so, you know, your experience kind of led you down a path of creating, you know, an organization or, um, so let's talk a little bit about Peace Love Tote. Well, when I went in for my first um, chemotherapy treatment, um, I really didn't know what to expect. You know, you hear these horror stories, and I was kind of scared. It happened to be my 26th wedding anniversary. <laughs> oh, no. But, you know, I wanted to get started as soon as possible. I felt yeah. that was my road to recovery. Not so quite the going. cocktail you were hoping for that day, no, huh? No, <laughs> that's for sure. And I feel like I went in so blind because I didn't really know anyone personally that had been through chemotherapy. And so I just showed up, you know, wore some comfy jeans and a sweatshirt and here I'm ready to go, right? Well, I realized very quickly that I was very unprepared. Um, I, I went in there and I was freezing cold, probably because of some of the equipment, and, you know, the medical things they use have to be at a certain temperature. I noticed that, you know, I was there six hours and, you know, here I was in my flip-flops and I was freezing. I thought, oh, I should have brought some cozy socks. I wish I had some magazines to read. My husband was running out to get me things. Um, At City of Hope, they offer you oxygenated water and I was in these little styrofoam cups and, you know, I didn't come prepared for the day. And then after you know, I really didn't realize that I would have that metallic taste in my mouth or that I'd have trouble going to the restroom or things like that. And so I decided um, when I heard of anyone having chemotherapy, especially for breast cancer, I would put together these little tote bags of everything I wish I'd had from a cozy blanket to a nice tumbler with a lid and a straw to some socks you know, a journal to take some notes, you know, you're talking to people and you get ideas and 
doctor's appointments and, you know, you're sending your husband out for stool softener and that's not a good feeling either. <laughs> you know, Like get this kind, get this kind. So I put together some things that I thought a woman could use that would make her more comfortable. And I would give them to people that were friends of friends. And then one day, one of my really good friends whose um, mother had died of breast cancer said, you know, Kim, why don't you start a foundation and do these tote bags? I said, oh my gosh, that's a great way to give back. And, you know, all these people were so great to me. I want to do something to help other people. So that's exactly what I did. And I called it Peace Love Tote. It has, you know, everything from antibacterial wipes to biotin for the mouth taste to a journal and adult coloring book and socks and tumbler blanket and just oh my everything. Gosh. And I wanted a nice tote that could sit next to you during chemotherapy and sit up so that it wouldn't be falling over and everything falling out. So I went with the things that I thought would be best. And I've so enjoyed handing them out to people. I love that. I think that's, I mean, I think it's amazing because I do hear a lot of times where people say, I didn't know what to bring to chemo. I wasn't prepared. You know, there's not like a little crash course that they give you um, to tell you what to bring. And again, everybody's different, but those are great things to have, you know, the blanket and, um, you know, the coloring book and, you know, just, just those little fine details that maybe yourself you wouldn't think about. Um, so, so you give these out. So are, is it only available in California or is this something that you're, um, you know, distributing nationwide? Well, that's interesting that you say that. I thought this would just be my local foundation. And um, I have been getting some calls from people that are, you know, further away and I have shipped them out. But originally my plan was that they would be um, delivered by me or a woman in my breast cancer network that I've created. So a survivor would hand this to you. And that was really important to me because to see someone healthy on the other side of what you're going through is huge. Yes. And I have also, they're going to add a button to my website. Um, it's a mentorship um, link that we're going to have. I've created a network of women that I have met through support groups and I've documented all the different types of cancer they have, the stages, their ages, so that if you do contact me, I can have someone give you a call that has been through what you're going through and can help you understand maybe the drugs, you know, what the effects it had on them or what you can expect in the type of surgery because they had it. I think that's so fantastic. And I'm just going to Real quick, share with you because, you know, I, I went through my own cancer diagnosis 12 years ago and 12 years ago, it, it was very different. Um, and so I had called a, a national organization asking for somebody to talk to. And of course, it was the, the local affiliate um, in Pittsburgh where I was living at the time. But I asked for somebody to talk to that, you know, kind of had my same diagnosis and absolutely, we'll set you up. We'll, you know get somebody in touch with you. And this person called and it was, you know, she was delightful and she was pleasant and, um, you know, I enjoyed our conversation, but she was also in her sixties and I was in my thirties. And so there was a yeah. big disconnect between what her experience was and what my experience was. So I love the fact that you have gathered some information and tried to make it meaningful. And again, nobody's story is exactly the same, but there are certain things that people can understand. You know, I can't, I can't give you any information about triple, triple negative. You know, I don't have that experience. I don't know that information. Um, you know, but to be able to talk to somebody that does is important. Exactly. And, you know, that person just becomes your lifeline. And, and all the people that have volunteered to participate in this with me, um, they're all people that felt the very same way and they are happy to place a phone call and say, you know, if you need something or you're afraid of, you know, you broke out in hives or you're having trouble going to the restroom and give them some advice on things that happened to me as well. Because it's not easy to talk about some of these things that we Absolutely. go through with people that have never been through it. 
Right. And, you know, we laugh a little bit now that we're on the other side and we giggle about, oh, my gosh, do you remember the day I shaved my head? And, you know, and, and things like that. And it, it's kind of nice to be able to be so lighthearted about it now because it seemed like life or death at that moment, you know. And um, yeah. it's truly a club that I think we belong to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, I think it's, um, again, I, I just have to say I, I love it so much because you know, it's taking that experience that we had ourselves and being able to provide inspiration and hope to somebody else that's kind of in the thick of it and being able to have those very genuine conversations, right? And it's about creating that community so that people who kind of come into this journey behind us aren't necessarily trying to find the information like we were, you know, trying to make it a little bit more accessible, Exactly, exactly. And um, I'm, you know, I, I feel like I've become friends with some of the people that I have helped. That's what's so fun. And, you know, I asked them later, you know, would you like to be on my list of people to call? And they are, every single one of them has been like, oh my gosh, please put me down. I would love to help someone else. I love that. So what is your website? Um, how do people find the website? Uh, what is the address? It's peacelovetote.org. Okay. And, and you can sign someone up that you know of that has um, breast cancer and you'd like us to send them something. Um, there are some articles on there that are kept very recent. So the latest and greatest of what's going on in the breast cancer industry, I guess. And um, I'm starting to add little things like... Um, the tattoo artist, the medical tattoo artist, I'm going to put his things on my website. And also there's a woman that made a wig for me and she copied my hair so that I could go to work and feel comfortable because those are oh. things you don't really know where to go. Right. And so I'm going to start adding things like that too. I think that's great. That'll be a great resource for people who are looking for that kind of information. Um, and then, so if, if somebody, so say a listener is not a breast cancer survivor, they don't have anybody that is a breast cancer survivor that they would want to refer. Um, can people provide support in any way or do you accept donations? How does that all work? We accept donations. Um, the tote bags are absolutely free to the patient, but we do accept donations. That's what keeps us going. And um, you can, you know, put someone, their name and address on there and make sure their phone number too, so that we can call and let them know that the toad is coming so they know what it is. And um, yeah, just keep in touch with us. We also are starting a mailing list too. So, um, you know, by providing your own email, we'll keep you informed as to what's going on with us. That's awesome. I love that you're, I love that you took something that you struggled with yourself and now you're providing some resource and support to other people um, so that they don't have to have that same struggle. You know, sometimes I, and I'm sure you felt this way too. Sometimes you think about, okay, there has to be a reason why this happened to me. And I'm a very faithful person. And I remember through the whole thing, I tried to stay very positive and I kept feeling like, just show me what this is for me or why this has happened to me so that I can bring something good out of it. And I certainly have had my prayers answered. Um, it, I feel so empowered to do this. And here I am, the hypochondriac. It really kind of stopped me in my tracks and it's kind of healed me in some ways. I don't worry so much about illnesses and stuff because the biggest thing I was afraid of just slapped me in the face and I made it. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. And um, you might find it interesting that as a podcast host, um, I, before all of this was very quiet and very shy and um, would never in a million years <laughs> share my story. Um, nonetheless, uh, be sitting um, here hosting a podcast. <laughs> so it, there's a reason for everything. <laughs> absolutely. For sure. That is without a shadow of a doubt. So, um, well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I appreciate you sharing your story and sharing the information about the foundation. Um, once again, people can find you at peacelovetote.org and then also, um, Facebook and Instagram. Are you on those two? Yes, I am. Perfect. And, and under peace, love, tote. 
piece left out. Uh huh. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being a guest. Um, I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.
Absolutely.